Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Welcome to the best Houston sports podcast. And usually my co-host Steven and I are talking Rockets, Astros, or Texans with you guys. But in this show, I wanted to shine a light over to my friend Brian Chambers and his new podcast, Neighbors Don't Knock. Typically, you'll find Brian acting his tail off in great local stage productions around Houston, super talented actor and performer. But in the last year, he started Neighbors Don't Knock with his pal Philip Goffrey, and they've welcomed in Grammy nominees, award-winning chefs, even a legendary Elvis impersonator, and a Hot Wheels and Matchbox car designer. I asked Brian if we could give you a special preview of his show, so you're about to hear Brian and Philip's conversation with Houston native and the fantastic character actor Kevin Cooney. The name might not ring a bell, but you'll know his face from movie classics like Dead Poet Society, Clear and Present Danger, Dead Man Walking, and Independence Day. I mean, that's just a small sample of his productions, which Brian will get to in just seconds. Anyways, let's check out my good friend Brian Chambers, along with Philip Goffrey and actor Kevin Cooney in a special preview of Neighbors Don't Knock. Welcome to the podcast, Neighbors Don't Knock, the show where two neighbors drop by for conversations that are fun, relevant, and downright hilarious. Join them and special guests in their mission to talk about anything and everything and laugh about it no matter what. Now, here's your hosts, Brian Chambers and Philip Goffrey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Neighbors Don't Knock. If you're just joining us for the first time, this is the podcast that you find yourself where good friends come together for banter, relevant conversations, just some good laughs. Maybe we need to unwind. Brother, I'm so, so glad that you're here. I needed this. I needed to see you. I needed to see our guest. I needed to unwind. I needed a drink. (laughs) It has been... I I love that you you want... Is it you want me so much or you need me so much? Oh. Oh, I love it. I know. We're, we're making my wife jealous. I love it, man. And, and thank you, by the way. I, I, a little shout out to you for stopping by and not recording the other day. It was nice to sit back with you and my wife and just watch a movie. That was fun. I, I know, right? We, when you just have to just be there. <laughs> Without yeah. having to say, are we ready? Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> like, hey, Brian, you're here again. Uh, do I have to get the microphone out? You know? That would, you know what? It's almost kind of reaction now. I should carry one in my pocket. So every time I like run into you, I, I just pull it out and just start talking. Like, you joke. Hey, I, Phil. I thought about it. I thought about just having one of those little like personal ones you plug into your iPhone so they can show up. <laughs> hey, Phil. Hey, Brian. Just just to look official. Everyone at your office is like, what's going on? I'm expecting a call. Yeah. So what did you do today? <laughs> and we're rolling. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> well, I, I don't even want to beat around the bush. But I'm happy to be here, but I'm very excited for our guest. Our guest today is an incredible actor, Houston native. He's a graduate of the University of St. Thomas, where he began his acting career. After college, had a stint in the Army, so we have a serviceman here. Worked often in local theater until he was cast by Peter Masterson in the best little whorehouse in Texas. First at Houston's Tower Theater, which was recently El Real until it closed down. So if you don't know uh, that, it was... Right there on Westheimer. Soon to be the Acme Oyster Company from New Orleans. Just there you go, right? There. There's history in that building. There's history. Um, and then on Broadway, and eventually in the second national tour of Bessel Whorehouse in Texas. So that's really incredible. 
He has appeared in a number of films and TV shows. Some of you may have heard some of these. I don't know. I'll throw a couple out. Mad Men, Scrubs, Legally Blonde, Independence Day, Dead Poets, Dead Poets Society. I mean, the list goes on. It's just incredible. Doesn't ring a bell, really? None of them? Oh, okay. Well, oh, wait. All of them. All of them. That's right. Well, let's get him here on the, on the show. We'd like to welcome Mr. Kevin Cooney. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Kevin, I I can't even imagine your resume again makes my resume look like I I should retire. <laughs> um, you know, are you in here Houston right now, full time now? Yeah, yeah. We spent a long we spent a decade or so in New York, and then uh, twenty twenty three years in Los Angeles, and. Uh, about five years ago, uh, the phone stopped ringing in Los Angeles. There's this thing called getting older that is not very popular <laughs> with the casting people. <laughs> anyway, also, my uh, our families are from here, and I had started uh, drawing my pensions and everything. So we thought, let's go back to Houston. We had reestablished contacts with theater uh, people here, and so we came back. And uh, it's been fabulous. We have two sons here. And we've been, I've been able to work in the theater, so is Teresa, and uh, it's just been great. We love it here. But you were gone for Houston for, what, two, almost three decades? A long time. We left maybe, let's see, we left, we went on the road in 1980 and then moved to New York in 83, and we didn't come back till 2014. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, different world, right? Yeah. Like the I mean, city we came just... back often for, you know, to see family and Sure, all sure. And, yeah. and, you, and you, wow, I can't believe all the cranes. I can't believe all the buildings. I can't, well, that used yeah, to be a field. each time. Every single time. We'd come almost every year. It's like, oh my God, look at that. I, I feel like I drive down the street now and what yeah. used to be yeah. a convenience store is a high rise. Yeah. Well, when did they build that? It happened. I was, I was driving up Montrose just the other day and I thought, oh my yeah. gosh. So that's, that's why you never ask an old timer for directions. Cause you, <laughs> you know, when you say, go turn left where the post office used to be and then and turn right at the phone booth. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. A phone booth? What are, you, what are those? The, 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 the second that the kind native Houstonian says San Filippi, you know you're done. You know you got to pull that's the plug. That's exactly right. Yep. Exactly right. They, they won't you know where it is. Know. you got to pull the plug. Yeah. San Philippi. San Philippi. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, right. And yep. now, I don't even know the last time I've actually seen a payphone or uh, or a phone booth. They do have a... Excluding the fake ones on Kirby. Yeah, but say, they do have the yeah, fake yeah. ones right there on Kirby, but I, I don't know the last time I've actually seen a, 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 a like a landline or anything like that. <laughs> so actually, there's a diner here in town on Westheimer, Avalon Diner, that still has a working payphone. Aha. Yeah, you can still go in. Is it so, still a quarter? I, I don't know. I, I, my guess is that that whole thing is for show and it's just pick up and dial and it's their landline now. Uh-huh. I would have to think that, right? Yeah. It can't be really like, you know, Ma yeah. Bell's phone. Well, that's got to suck if someone's on the like a business call in the office and some random customer after a couple You're of drinks right. just is like, hey. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no one answers <laughs> random phone calls anymore because it's always going to be that's like, true. if you want to extend your auto warranty, please press one. You uh-huh. know, it just doesn't. Yeah, I know. It's like, if it doesn't say who's calling, but okay, but I've I've actually answered. Even I'm curious by nature. Like I get those phone calls on my on my cell phone now, and and I see that they're out of state or something like that, and it says something. And most of the time, I'm like, okay, this is going to be crap, and I'm sure someone's either selling me something, some scam or whatever. Well, let's check it out. It could be fun. It could be fun. Do you ever walk them through it? Oh, when I'm in a good mood. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Absolutely. When I'm in a great mood, I will take them the whole way. 
until I just rip out the rug from underneath them and all of the hope comes out of yeah, their I've, voice. I've, I've you done know, that. I've it, done that. It's like the, the, the cruise sails or whatever yeah. that they're like, or the, the hotel stays. And yeah, I, l- I like to ask them for their social security number. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. sorry. I'll show you mine. <laughs> right. <laughs> So you were in New York in the 80s. Well, I, oftentimes yeah. when I get those phone calls and I'm feeling a little bit uh, saucy or, or, or sauced or both, depending on the, the evening, you know, I'll, I'll get a little bit, hey, hey, what's going on over there? You know? <laughs> yes. I'll get like the old school 80s, uh, your Brooklyn kind of thing. I'll be like, yeah. look, listen, pal, you're going to call me up during my dinner time. Right. We're going to have a conversation. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I know. Just, it is a different language when you get there. It's like, uh, uh, you know, say, uh, what, do you know where the Coke machine is? Huh? The Coke machine. Oh, you want a soda? Soda. <laughs> I got I a family. A I got family up there too. Yeah. Like in Cleveland, they're in Cleveland. They're not in New York, but they say pop. Oh yeah, you know, pop. there's a pop or, or a soda pop or something like that. Yeah, I had a friend order a hamburger one time in New York, and he got a hamburger. All it was was a piece of meat between two buns. He says, "Excuse me, can I get some?" Uh, lettuce and, and tomato, and so I say, "You want a salad? Order a salad." <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that. that. Well, okay, so you were up that there. Makes me nostalgic for home. That's great. <laughs> right. How long were you? Or I guess, better question: Which did you prefer, New York or LA? Because very different vibes. Yeah, very, very different, and each has its advantages. I think I was, I was. More ready for Los Angeles because it's not that much different from Houston. Like, you know, you're always in your car. Yeah. Uh, and uh, New York was a little different for us because we – our kids were little. So we mo- we lived up in Westchester County, and I commuted. Uh, but I love New York City. But it's one of those places where, you know, you can get rich, but it's real hard to make a living. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, and, and, uh, and I did okay, you know, and I liked it. But, I you know, I landed a national tour that took me around the country and then ended up in Los Angeles. And I said, well, we're here. And I had an agent that was both was bi-coastal. So it, it just worked for me. Okay. Yeah, Westchester. So, so what years were you in, in the New York area, in the Westchester area? Uh, like 83 to 89, 80, okay. 90. Yeah, yeah. So you so you saw a pretty ballooning cost curve in terms of cost of living. I, I grew up yeah. in Fairfield County, Connecticut, so I was right next door to you. Okay, yeah. And – you know, e- even in Fairfield County, which was always a very, very wealthy area, I grew up in a place, a little town called New Canaan. Uh huh. I got to see it in the '80s just balloon beyond belief. It was crazy, oh, yeah. and I can't imagine being an artist in New York, commuting in every day, and looking at that and going, "Okay, how do I sustain this?" Exactly. Right. How and do I? Was, how do I retire yeah, one day? Yeah. And the great thing there was the good things were, were that you could that there was a lot of avenues you could go you know there were commercials there were soap operas there were industrial films there was stage oh, yeah, especially soaps yeah and uh in, in addition to film work but nothing you know nothing like now it's the film work there is well before the pandemic was is great it's much better than when i was there you know film and television but uh it was tough but you know it just it's hard hard to make a living as an actor and uh on the on the stage and uh, because you have to work a lot, and usually the pay is not that great. There's a film you can work work two days on a commercial and made forty thousand dollars. So it was over a course of two years, you know. Yeah. Well, there's a big difference between that and you know, four hundred bucks a week for three. Oh weeks. yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, your 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 IMDb IMDb page alone for film work is incredible. Your resume on both that you sent us 
it's it's wild. I mean, you, you have to have different columns for all the things that you've yeah. done. Well, yeah, if you last long enough. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, I'm sure you fielded this question 100,000 times, so forgive me in advance, yeah. but do you actually have a preference between stage and film? Yeah, I, I prefer stage. You prefer stage? Yeah, because there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you have a sense of community. You know, I've done big films where I got to meet, you know, big stars, but you see them and you wave goodbye and then you see somebody else. There's no sense of community. And uh, and whereas, you know, in, in, when you're working on a stage, you all get together, you start rehearsing, you put it together as a unit, and then you and you, and you perform it as a unit rather than in little pieces. But that makes a lot of sense to me. I, yeah. I feel like my personality would go that way too. Like I understand film is it's so cool, it's intricate, it's magical. Yeah. But that whole, okay, now for this 10 seconds, you're on – and then go away. We'll call you in a few days, right. and we need you back. Yeah. Where's that that community, there, yeah. that family pod, right? And you spend, and it's really, it's really, uh, you wait. It's it, you know, you wait. It's a game of waiting more than it is a game of acting. And then when you do act, it's hurry up and act. <laughs> yeah, we, you, know, we, you look we, at their we, watches. We got ten minutes to yeah. get this shot. Oh, yeah, hurry up. <laughs> twenty nine, twenty eight, twenty. Go. Twenty seven, twenty six, twenty five. You know, and if you screw I up, I didn't even know I was coming in today until five minutes <laughs> no, ago. Heavy, heavy. You know, you sound like Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you say that, though, because for me, I think that's what justifies the hard work and yes. and the weird hours and putting up with. Oh well, oh, sure, I'll take that paycheck. Absolutely, you know? and you got to work. You know, you can't just say, "Nah, I don't want to do that." You got to work because you have to be ready. When I was in Los Angeles, I started going to auditions. And I would audition maybe two or three times a week. I got to where I really loved the audition because that gave me the opportunity to practice my craft and, and to get better, to get better at the audition and at answering the bell when they say go because that's what you have to do. And you have to be ready because then that opportunity comes along. And when the opportunity does come along, you have to be ready. Well, and that kind of – I want to piggyback into that because – I took me a little while before I really started to like auditions. Right. I, I used to actually hate auditions. Sure. And it, it used to drive They're me. terrifying. Yeah. I was like, oh, great. I mean, now, now you don't they, like the feeling of being made to feel like you suck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so my wife was auditioning for something one time. And I said, she was really nervous. And I said, I said, okay, tell me, are you more nervous now? about this audition or when you had knee surgery. She said, oh, no question. It's this, it's this damn audition. You know? <laughs> wow. Knee surgery wow. is fine. <laughs> it's so <laughs> true, though. Right? I it's know. so true. I mean, you know, I, I, guess, I guess for the, the three of us have all done auditioning, so we're all a, a little bit familiar. You know, I, I'm not an actor and, and, uh, and, and never really have been. I've dabbled a little bit now and again. But... What most people don't understand about the auditioning process is that it's a job interview every single time, right? So, And everybody can relate to a job interview, how scared you are, how scared you are, how much you need it. My mother-in-law, when I, she said, describe to me your typical week in Los Angeles. And so I told her about everything we've been talking about. And she said, oh, my Lord, it's like running for cheerleader every week. <laughs> I love Indeed. that. Yeah, it sure. is true. It's exactly right. Absolutely. I mean, any, anything you've ever tried out for in your entire life, right? Yeah. Over and over and over yeah. and over. And if you're doing, especially when you're in New York, right? 
Oh, you get to see the five thousand other people standing yes. in line that are coming up for the that same. That walk into the room like you, right? Yes. For the- yeah. <laughs> it's not like showing up at CVS. You're trying to be a clerk, and there are three people in front of you, right? This, <laughs> yeah. is, this is. Oh yeah. yeah, we'll get to you in three hours. Just I know. Stay warm. I know it's yeah. ten degrees out here. <laughs> number but, uh, eighty-two. Yeah. You know, take a number. Well, okay, so let's go back a little bit because I'm I'm very curious about this now. What was an audition that you just remember that maybe you felt? That you maybe you got the part or didn't that you just felt either great with or completely bombed. Let's see. I'm, I'm remember, always here. I'm always curious to hear. Okay, I had there was one day in Los Angeles where I had two auditions in uh, in the same day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one was for a part that I really wanted, and the second one in the afternoon was for a part I did not want to do because it was it involved it was they were both television shows, and it involved a moment in a show where I had to, my character had to pull the plug on one of my sons. It was a comedy, man. It was so funny. <laughs> wow. Uh, and the first one that was... That sounds hilarious. Yes, the first one was something that was <laughs> oh, very... Wait, it's, it, oh, sorry. I was really yeah. laughing. I thought... Oh, <laughs> I'm like, I'll pull the plug. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the first one was something that was more lighthearted and something that was kind of up my alley. So I thought I really nailed that first audition. And then I went in and I said, I'm just going to blow my way through this second one. Well, guess which one I got? The second one. Of course. I didn't because I didn't care and somehow I just thought about whatever. I don't know what I did, but somehow I did it. So then I had to do the thing, you know, which was not fun at all. <laughs> Same pay. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance you guys put a good word in for me and the other the other <laughs> right. the other guys next door? <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, the whole thing about the starving actor, like taking any work, that's true if they have no work. Right. Yeah. Any work is no longer true when you have some work. Then all of a sudden, it's, oh fuck, I got to do what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and then of course, you, then you get into the whole practical aspect of paying the rent or paying qualifying for insurance or or whatever. Indeed. You, know? you did a show that kind of, I guess, looking at your resume, this would you consider this show kickstarting your career, the best little whorehouse in Texas? Yes. Okay, so best little whorehouse kind of kicked off your career, and and to me, that was the show that ultimately wasn't the first show that kicked off my career but it's what launched me full-fledged into uh-huh. into theater right. um a lot more and i actually met my wife doing the show so uh-huh. it was great but you got to work with some amazing people the late peter masterson yes that what was it like working with him he is in fact away he, he became a, a very very close friend and uh and we stayed friends up you know all the way till the end and i'm still a good friend with his with Carlin Glenn, his wife, and their kids, uh, and he uh, we that's when we met, and uh, we kind of hit it off. You know, he's from this area, uh, Angleton, Texas, and uh, and he very very soft spoken guy, uh, and who uh, was very trusting. And so, uh, he, you know, you would do something for him and you'd, and you'd want approval and say, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's good. Let's go. Let's do that. We'll do that. You know, and you say, well, wait, wait, is there anything you want me to do? No, no, that's all right. That's good. <laughs> you know? And so all that, what happens is that adds a, a, an incentive, a trusting. And when we did Trip to Bountiful, he, which he directed the movie, and, uh, and he was the same way. You just... You just start doing it, and you and, and you start. You of course are working with Geraldine Page, which didn't hurt, and you become. Uh, you know that he's trusting you, and so you react, you respond to that, 
you know, and uh, I just loved him. I, I really loved him. Very, very trusting man, funny, and a good friend. And he was something. And Tommy Toon, also Tommy was, you know, another trip. <laughs> and, uh, and Larry King, Larry L. King, who wrote the book, you know, who wrote the original article in Playboy that the show was based on, was a ma- an amazing guy. Very funny, very funny guy. I happen to go down to Angleton, Texas quite often because I'm from a race car family. And my father actually lives here in Houston. He keeps some cars down at that track they built called MSR down there. Oh, wow. Yeah. To be from Angleton <laughs> and get involved in the arts in any way, shape, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really. Yeah, I don't know how that how quite how that happened. He, you know, he went to Rice Rice University, and then somehow got involved at the Alley Theater. So he had he had it somewhere in him. That's magical. Yeah, and I, I when you describe him as being soft spoken, I mean, he must be because everyone down there in Angleton is like, "How you doing?" Yeah, <laughs> and everything's everything's in metaphor. Oh you yeah, know, you know they never speak directly about anything. It's absolutely true. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> we, we took a motorcycle to get inspected at some uh, little shop that's been there forever and a day in Angleton, and <laughs> everyone there, like it, it was literally like watching Shakespeare. You're going, okay, I don't know what you just said. It had nothing <laughs> right. to do with motorcycles, but I think we're up. So let's pull right. it into the bay. Yeah, yeah it <laughs> was. Yeah, the guy, you know, he's sitting there with a wrench, and he said, "Well, that dog won't hunt." And I guess, you know. Part, pardon me? <laughs> I don't see a dog. <laughs> yeah, I would, like, be, I would uh, be the guy looking. I'd be like, yeah. See, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'd... I'd be the guy <laughs> screwing with him. I'd be like, well, then let's shoot it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and see what that means. You know, yeah, just see what comes and, of it. And again, that would be a comedy show in itself, watching you, the whole you place mess with stops. him and just me, baffling idiot, walking around. Right. I don't know. Do you see a dog, Philip? I don't see a dog. <laughs> <laughs> looking under shit. <laughs> That'd be great. (laughs) Okay, so, and again, for our listeners that don't know who Peter Masterson was, he wrote the book for The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. So the fact that you got to work with him, amazing. Now, you've done the show several times here in Houston. I mean, obviously, you were on the second national tour. Right. And you played Melvin P. Thorpe originally. Actually, originally I played the governor. Oh, the governor originally. Okay. Yeah. And then on the tour. Melvin P. Thorpe and on Broadway, Melvin P. Thorpe. Okay. And it wasn't until uh, Roger Raby, who was our production stage manager for, uh, for the national tour, uh, from here in Houston, called me and says, would you like to do Whorehouse? Because Tuts is doing it. And I said, yeah. He says, what part do you want to play? I said, well, the only part I want to play is the sheriff now. I'm, I'm the right guy for it now. The he best. Says, you got it. One of the best roles. Actually, there's Absolutely. so many roles. But to me, the sheriff is a role I, I it's hope. his show. Yes. And, and uh, you know, good old girl, one of the best, outside of Hard Candy Christmas, yeah. one of the best numbers in the Carol show. Carol Hall, what, great, great songwriter. So, yes. Yeah, so, so yeah. I, oh, so, and I actually saw you in that here in town, ah, and you, you were fantastic in it. Thank I loved you. it. But what, what, how was New York receiving that show? It's very, it's very different. And one of the things, of course, we learned on the tour was how Southern audiences seem to identify with that sort of rural. Uh, sheriff and situation of the big city versus the country people and uh and and also recognize that the whole message of the show which is the hypocrisy that lives in all of us uh and uh in including politicians and uh those of us those who are in charge but uh you know Cleveland audiences didn't react quite the same way the Atlanta audiences did you know oh sure and, uh, so it's uh it's very different 
when I did it on Broadway, it was after it was the show had been running over a year, and uh, the uh, so the audiences weren't quite the same. It was more the tourists coming in, and they were they were very receptive. I mean, the show was a huge hit, and uh, but yeah, different different responses, a different a different vibe, and you feel it in the room if you've been on stage as, as you have. You understand the moment you go out every night is is different. Yeah, so just you feel it in the air. Yeah, absolutely. Was most of the cast from South Southern or Texas or somewhere? Yeah, the Broadway did, show not quite so much. I was about to say yeah. the, most of the the the, yeah. the chorus maybe. Yeah, they found they found uh, Texas people in it. Some of the people that I had worked with here in Houston in the seventies, uh, who had moved up to New York, uh, were cast in it. You know, Gary Burkhart and, and, and several others and. Uh, it uh, and and that worked, but that when you you know what it's like. <laughs> I would I would have when loved to have a that. Yankee playing a Texan. <laughs> Come on, Philip, you can't do that. <laughs> I, I would have loved to have heard some of the rehearsal commentary. Oh my like, God, like, I see what the problem uh, is. <laughs> like, like, like just after the table read, you know, it's like. My character did what? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah. It's all. It's all okay. Say Long Island. Long Island. Okay, you're out. Right. Yeah. yeah, you got to go. Can you say huge? Can you pronounce an H? Um, you know, it's funny. That's not the way you hold a gun. I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you know, love that. It's funny if you ask the question though, Brian, because especially in the theater world in New England, if you have local theater. Everyone relates to the whole sort of country vibe very, very well, right? Eastern Connecticut, you know, upstate New York, Vermont, upstate Massachusetts. It's it's very similar to being yeah. down south. It really is. Rural is rural. It exactly. doesn't matter where you are in the Absolutely. country. Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and the sheriff character, like it all plays. Yes. But when you get, you know... A lot of tourists coming in from Europe or the Far East, yeah. and you're on a big Broadway stage. I can see how that would be a very different reaction. Oh, uh, you have – I don't get it. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I'm just so happy to be here. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's when you use your walking voice to him. <laughs> if you don't shut up. You understand. The sheriff is amazing. <laughs> Gentlemen, Westchester – speaking of walking, Westchester. You know? <laughs> So well, congratulations on that. I mean, thank you. Uh, uh, amazing, amazing, amazing. I would say, but you've had such an illustrious career. When did you know? Because you started in in stage and acting uh, in live theater, and especially after your career got launched with Best Little Whorehouse, when was the move to TV and film? When did you decide that that was the transition, or did you want to keep both and it was just a struggle? I, th I think it was whatever came along. I had had, you know, before uh, the whorehouse phenomenon occurred, uh, during the 70s, I had done a number of films in Houston and, you know, camera work, commercials and industrial films and uh, a couple of small roles in films that, 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 that were shot in the, in the area. Uh, so I had a bit of a resume, and uh, and when I got to New York uh, and found an agent, I started going out on things. You know, got a Law and Order. You know, which you know everybody everybody lives in New York who has a SAG card does a Law, law and Order. order. Uh, but like, in fact, I read a resume one time where someone said, "I'm, I'm going to laugh now." Well, well, every I time know. I read a bio now, I know I read a bio one time and said. Joe or whatever his name was is the only actor in New York who has not been in Law and Order. <laughs> but uh, that's fantastic. So, so basically, Law and Order was like they the, rejected him. It was, it was, yeah. So it was, it was the East Coast ER, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, 
But at That's any rate, hilarious. so then, then it, you know, and I started doing film, some film work in, in, in New York. But then uh, uh, Peter Masterson did the trip to Bountiful and asked me to do a part in it. And it was a really good part. And so that kind of got other folks interested in me. And so I, start, I got a TV pilot and uh, I started doing some stuff out of New York. And then when I, I got another national tour called M, of the show called M. Butterfly that landed in, in L.A., I had a resume, an agent who immediately started sending me out on, on stuff. And so it just kind of happened that way. And, and it was really uh, fortunate because, you know, being able to make a living as an actor in film uh, not only helps pay the rent, but also bills things like the things that you need, uh, you know, health, health care for you and your family and a pension and all the, all the kind of security uh, that, that's hard to, to, to get on stage. Well, I think you have to be lucky as well as ta- yes, talented. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I, I think that is also part of it. A lot of people say, no, no, I'm, I'm strictly talented. I'm like, bullshit. No. Yeah, you might be talented, but you you also do. I you got to have the, they have to have the luck. You have to first of all, you have to be able to get in the room, and then you have to get in the room at the right time. And and you know, it's better uh, after lunch than before lunch. <laughs> you know, when everybody's saying it's time for lunch, it says, "Yeah, yeah, that was great. See you." You know, and then after lunch, they're all sitting there. Ah, hey, hey, you're 26, great. 25, 24. Yeah, right. exactly. yeah, there are two martinis in, and you're sweating exactly. bullets. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I tell you though. Here you say that is very refreshing because you often hear the luck part brought up in the acting world, the really entertainment world, right? Any musician, any actor, any writer. But the reality is every single successful person I've had the privilege of meeting in every industry throughout my entire life has always said it too. Has always said, you know what? I was so lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Doesn't matter their education, doesn't matter how hard they work. Because really, everyone successful works their tail off. Yeah. That's what it really comes down to. Yeah, and a lot of people who work their butts off don't are not successful. That's right. It's, you know, you know, but you just keep doing it. You keep working at it, and uh, yeah, yeah. You believing you, you, in yourself. You meet the guy that patented nylon or whatever, right? Yeah, right. You know, I was just in the right place at the right yeah, time. And it, yeah. it always comes down to that that good fortune. Yeah. I, I love hearing that. It, yeah. It's very. Um, I think it's powerful for most people because it gives hope, right? Sure. If, if you're working your ass off. You're going to have that lucky day. It also gives Hopefully. you a little bit yeah. of time to be creative about how you would, what you would do to somebody, yeah. you know, who doesn't deserve there's, you know, there's the also, opportunity. There's <laughs> that New Yorker again. There's a great saying from Branch Rickey, who was a baseball man way yeah. back. Oh. And he, said, he had a saying. Love it. Luck is the residue of design. So that if you, you know, if you work your ass off and just keep working at it and doing everything, you, then sooner or later... Hopefully, luck will come your way because you're ready for it. I, I might have to quote you on that. Uh, you know, I know what Brent Tricky said, but I might have to put that in our in our clip because in a quote of quote, a quote unquote. I know who I am. I I'm the dude playing, <laughs> playing the, the dude, dude disguised as another, another dude. dude. <laughs> Quoting Brent Tricky, whoever he was. Okay, so so I've got a question, kind of piggybacking on all of that. So you're in L.A. and at this point, did you have children when you went to L.A.? Yeah, oh, yeah. We had children before we left uh, Houston. Okay, and you have three boys. Three boys, yeah. Okay, I'm one of three boys myself. Yeah. Uh, my brothers are 12 and 10 years older than I am, so it was sort of like being an old child growing up. But, um, yeah. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I'm part of Noah's Ark. 
Yeah, dude. Uh-huh. Like you're you're yeah. you're part of a litter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just um, big box under the stairs, and we just kept shooting out like, ah. like one of those log rides. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that cat's back again. Oh my gosh, pregnant again. I love you, mom. Yeah, <laughs> Mrs. Chambers. Nothing, she, nothing she does listen. Love. She does listen to the show. Nothing we'll we'll love. decide if we keep this in or not. But yeah, right. <laughs> yeah but three boys. Is, three boys is interesting. It's uh, it, it it's. You know, I don't want to say it's it's self sufficient because you always have to wonder what they've done, right? But it's not. I'm a father of a, of a little girl, and mm-hmm. I think that little girls are a different. little more. Um, yeah, they're different. They're a little more, a bit more hands on. You're a bit more worried all the time as a dad, <laughs> right? With boys, it's sort of like, oh, they're they're five now. It's cool. Yeah. Right? yeah. If they if they get electrocuted, somebody will call me. You know, right. It'll be okay. Yeah. But so you're you're a struggling actor. Well, uh, I, yeah. Uh, forgive me. Not struggling. Yeah. You're a working actor right. in L.A. Struggling, struggling, is struggling a word, lot of the time. All working actors are struggling. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But you're out there. You're paying the bills. Did you ever have a moment in your in your career as a, as a family man, as a father, as a husband? Because your your wife also she's a writer and is and, and that's right. She writes uh, uh, novels for children. Okay, so you're both going at a very very difficult exactly industry. Did you have a moment where you decided that you were going to gun for a certain type of work or type of roles or was it always i'm just going to shoot for the moon and then take whatever role is interesting to me or whatever how did that work no, like not every role that was interesting to me any role i could get <laughs> anything okay <yes. laughs> yeah. should i cut my arm off below the joint the elbow joint above it whatever you want no, I mean it's it's. I mean, you if, if we ever have the good fortune of like Samuel L. Jackson or Liam Neeson, they're both me going. Yep, that's right. <laughs> no kidding. That's why these snakes are on the plane. That's why the snakes are on the plane. We've all been here. You know. You know. It's we've all been there. It's just, just you know. And you, and it's and it's and it is almost every day. I I woke up and made the decision. I still want to do this. You know. It was, you know, because you have <laughs> oh doubts. My God. <laughs> There's no question doubt enters your mind. And uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you chose one of the most difficult industries in terms of, of yeah. bringing your insecurities to light every day. Yeah, because as you, you know, you bear yourself when you audition. Speaking of the auditioning, you if you're going to do it right, you have to invest yourself. You have to invest in the moment and then you face the consequences. And, you know, seven or eight times out of ten, if you're lucky you're rejected, you know, and, uh, if you hit, if you hit two out of 10 times, you're, you know, you're hitting 200 and you're, Oh yeah, I'd be happy. I'd be happy yeah. with that. <laughs> and, three, and three out of 10, if you hit three out of 10, then you've got two houses and a boat and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, and seriously. And, uh, so it's, it, you know, there's a lot of rejection as, as y'all know. And, uh, but you have to have, you know, support. Teresa, my wife was the best. She's the most positive spirit I've ever known. And uh, so during the the tougher times, she was there, and the kids have been great, and they've they still are, you know. And when my youngest son Errol said, "I want to be a guitarist," I you know who am I to say you can't do that? <laughs> Even though my heart was screaming, "My Lord, please don't!" You're thinking, but, "What are you nuts?" Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know he's done great. Have, have you ever have you ever found yourself as as a as a dad or a father like saying those types of things and then going back and being like. Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. And I said to Teresa at the time, I said, you know, what? who am I to say don't follow your dream? You know, and fortunately for him, it worked out. And uh, so it's uh, it's just been 
See, that's great because that's a very father moment. I love the way you asked that question, actually. I don't think you even meant to, but there is a difference between being a dad and a father. There really is. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm glad that you you actually that I well hey happy happy to do it I don't know well what done. I was doing but there you go well done sir you're very occasionally occasionally a nugget slips out yeah that, that's right occasionally a nugget slips out Kevin's over here blaming the bourbon he's like it's the bourbon <laughs> I'm just I'm still looking for the dog I yeah you know, I know. <laughs> I'm like I know. where the where the fuck is the dog <laughs> uh, just don't shoot it <laughs> it's wonderful hearing you say that because. With your craft, with both both of your chosen professions, people so often look at it as everyone trying to be the movie star, right? And for the people that I know who have done film especially, they get cast with a speaking role in something big. It's, just, it's hugely it's successful. It's hugely yeah. successful because they're up against a thousand people, 2,000 yep. people, yep. whatever it is. And then you go to the movie theater and it's like, hey, dad, yeah, oh, there he went. <laughs> I had it was so funny. I I was you know when we first moved to Los Angeles, uh, we had a mailman, and I don't know how this happened, but our mailman in Los Angeles was from Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, and so the second day we were in this house we were renting, uh, there's this knock on the door and I open it. And he says, "Hi, Kevin." And I said, uh, "Oh, you're the, you're our mailman." I said, "Yeah, my name's Blair." Uh, I'm from Memphis, and I just wanted to welcome you to the neighborhood. I'm your mailman, and if there's anything you need, just please uh, let me know, and I'll be happy to help you. And I said, well, great, Blair. I kind of love this guy. That's nice. That's nice. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. See you soon. And so about four days later, knock on the door. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Hey, you know, I went to the movie last weekend, and I'm sitting there in the theater, and I look up on the film on the screen, and then I see your face right there, and I hell, I couldn't help it. I stood up and I said, "That's thirty five oh eight Woodcliffe." <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> honey, it's time to move. <laughs> I know, I know. You're like, great, Kevin. Did yeah, you give right. him the gate code too? <laughs> and my social security number Not is. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's that, awesome! That, that I that's, love that. That's, that's actually kind of beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's good. So it's yes. Yeah, so it's, some people call it the it's the there's Kevin moment. I, I've had those moments. Yeah, I know. I know what Blair's going through. Yes. I really do. Yeah. Of course, I, I didn't. I wasn't in a theater and showed out where you lived. But it's just funny. Okay, question: Have you ever been at home or somewhere and where you come up on the screen and you just leave it up there to watch yourself? Oh gosh, yeah. But you know, it, you know, the first few times, it's like you can't bear to watch. It's it's you know, it's painful because you think, oh, you know. But uh, it's uh, yeah, well, yeah. I like to study it. I like to say, oh, you know, I could have done this or I could have done that, or hey, that wasn't too bad. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so you critique. So you're you're very critical of yourself. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is a fascinating uh, question of ego. Right, because I've heard stories about very famous actors who never, ever, ever watch themselves. Yes, like Danny Glover can't yeah. stand. Yeah, Gene watch Hackman. Himself. I worked with him, and he says he never went to dailies. He never, yeah. right, ever yeah. does it. And then some people, like like yourself, are willing to admit, yeah, okay, it took a while, but then when I can finally get over it, yeah, you know, either grinning or cringeworthy, whatever it might be. To look at the craft and think about, okay, how, how can I use this for the skill? Yeah. And it's not a vanity thing. It's not like you're no, you're just full of yourself. It's just I want to 
I want to see how it, how it went. Yeah, well, I think about pro athletes all the time. Because, again, coming from a race car family, we do a lot of analysis with you know, in-car data. We do video of what's going on. Because let me tell you something. Race car drivers, they're human, right? They yeah. make mistakes. They fuck up. Yeah. And, and when they do, it can cost you a victory. It can cost you a podium finish. It can cost you a points finish. It's very, very serious. That's very, it. See, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's That's very, very embarrassing stuff when, when they make mistakes. And, I, and I've... Until I started hanging out with you, uh, Brian, and, and meeting all these wonderful people like you, Kevin, who are in the arts, I had never thought about that. Yeah. Until I finally looked back and went, oh, wow, you know what? You know, my father watching these in-car videos of, of his races, when he points out that mistake and kind of gives that nervous laugh, that's got to be rough. That's got to be really tough for him as an ego, as a person to, to go, yeah, oh, That's fascinating. It, it really is. I really you, they, it's not just... Bunch. Go out there and turn left a whole bunch of times. Oh, no, yeah. not at all. Of course yeah. not. Um, but but, it, but it, it's a craft like anything else. Yeah. You know, racing is the art of repetition. But everything changes dynamically every moment that you're repeating that last action. So every lap is different, and you're just trying to repeat perfectly the previous lap while accounting for the differences. Yeah. So obviously on stage, things change in real time. Within your own cast. Sure. Every night. Every indeed. single moment. And then the audience, the interaction. The same thing. That's just like race cars on a racetrack. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because that's the beauty of stage versus, you know, film. Because you, the one day you do this scene that people may play forever, you know, or as soon as they see it, they turn it off. You know, you have basically half an hour to put together this scene that's going to last forever. Whereas you get it wrong tonight. In on stage, yeah, I got to, I got to, I got to fix that tomorrow night. You have, you have, and I had a teacher one time who said, uh, "You never get it right; you can only get it better," and uh, which you know is true. Absolutely. Yeah. Although to hear you say that, I, I will say this because I hope she's listening. My mother loves the movie Legally Blonde. Ah, wow! She loves it, and welcome to Harvard. You just made her day right there. I'm not even going to lie. Okay, because when I told her, I was like, oh, man, we're going to have this great guest on the show, Kevin Cooney, you know, local to Houston. He's been in a bunch of films. And, and she goes, would I know him from anything? And I was like, uh, yeah, a couple things, you know, a few things. And then it wasn't until I said Legally Blonde, and she goes, oh, who is he in that? And I said he was the Harvard admissions guy. And then when they said, welcome to Har- El Woods, welcome yeah. to Harvard. Yeah. She proceeded to quote the entire ah. scene over the phone call. I wasn't even talking at this point. It, she, and not only was she quoting your lines, she was quoting every other character's lines. Unbelievable. And I was just like, you realize I'm going to tell him this. <laughs> <laughs> you realize I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out you. That's great. That's great. <laughs> but she, she enjoyed your performance. She, she said you were hysterical. Ah, and thank you. So you just made her day by saying that. And, and, well, and by bringing it up, you got me out of, the, out of the hot seat with the whole pregnant cat comment. So. <laughs> Aha. Woo-hoo. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. A wine made with passion and soul is a great way to bring people together. And that's why we choose Alpacion. Alpacion is an award-winning wine produced in the Uco Valley region of Argentina and can be found in fine restaurants and retail establishments all over the world. Taste the passion today or book a trip to their vineyards and experience their exquisite lodge and glamping tents. Learn more at www.alpacion.com. 
Well, are, do you have any plans at, at, to move somewhere out of Houston, or are you no, gonna, is, is this your final yeah, spot stop? This is the deal. You know, our families are here. Uh, Teresa's uh, brothers and sisters are here. I have a, a, a brother here, and uh, and we have two two kids here, and we have grandkids here. So we do have a son, the musician in L.A., uh, and we just got back from seeing him, by the way, first time in over a year. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah, that is yeah. great. I'm glad you got yeah. to, a chance yeah. to be out there. Yeah. I'm so glad he's getting to play out where you can see him. That's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's survived, and his wife works for uh, uh, for Capitol Records, and so she's uh, involved with the Grammys now. She has a she manages Brittany Howard, you know, from uh, Alabama Shakes. Uh, I've heard I, the I, name. I don't yeah, know intimately yeah. about her. Yeah, name. she's a nominee, a Grammy nominee, and so they've got a, a little girl and a little boy. And uh, oh wow, yeah. So, so you sent an email to us earlier with the whole background, the bio. You have eight grandchildren. Yes, please don't ask me their names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that I love. I love that answer. I love that answer. You love them all, but 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 please wear a name tag when you come home to me. <laughs> it's worse than a high school reunion. Yeah, no, my parents have a whopping five, and I'm pretty sure they can't remember all their names, so I, I get it entirely. My my folks remember the grandchildren. They actually, I think, mess up our names occasionally now. Well, of course, there's 700 of you. Well, you know, it's like Brian, Nicholas, no, Corey, no, wait, who am I talking to? That's very like, difficult. <laughs> you know. Oh, but the grandkids, oh, we got their names down. How many you know, siblings you have? I'm the second of seven. Aha. I was one of six. Teresa's one of 11, so she has us all beat. Oh, wow. wow. Oh, wow. Was she... All Irish what? Catholic. Yes. Yeah. 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 Irish. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, so your, your youngest is the guitar player. Yep. He's in L.A., getting gigs. Yep. His wife's in the music industry. She's representing people. This this sounds very, very positive. Yes. Your other two boys, are they in arts or totally? No, they're not. Uh, the uh, eldest, Michael, is a, uh, a school teacher, special ed teacher at Deer Park High School. Lovely. And uh, he's my hero for that. And uh, his uh, brother, Brian, lives in Katy. Great name. And Yeah, great name, Brian. <laughs> Katy, uh, I love it. <laughs> and he works at Sci Fair School District as a uh, Oh wow. Yeah, he's a computer technician, IT. Excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. You've got you've covered it all. I think so. You guys have covered it all. I need a lawyer and a banker, but I think it's too late. So so when you sit down as a family, which I'm sure is is difficult with so many grandkids and everyone doing their own thing. Well well is it? Are you guys big one of those families that likes to We just, like to have family to break gatherings. bread together? Yeah. You, it's great. Okay. Yeah. It's loud. But that's okay. You think? I think yeah. that's. I think it's the yeah. best part. That it has to be to me. Yeah. That that's the greatest. Yeah. Have you had the opportunity? Uh, how, how old is your youngest, if you don't mind? Uh, Errol is forty something. Right. So, so forty three. So all three of your boys are are really you know, yeah. family men. They're, 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 they're men. They're grown men. Yeah. Have you had the opportunity to? Sit down with them as adult men. Absolutely, it well, has been one of the, some of the most wonderful things about having grown children. Yes. Yeah, and, and have you had a chance to, to chat with them about how they felt growing up with an like an, a family in the arts and an acting father? And no, how- I've been afraid to ask. <laughs> afraid, afraid one might no, go like, Dad, actually, I no, need to I'm do curious. that. Yeah. No, actually, it was a very, very uh, they they loved it. At least, unless they're lying to me, I think they had a. Yeah, Dad, it was great. great. Well, we never knowing. You know, we toured for three years uh, with Whorehouse, and Mm -hmm. uh, we homeschooled. Right, so that's the timeline that I'm putting together in my head. That's what I'm curious about. The three of them became the best of friends, and they still are. 
they're they're uh, dedicated and love each other very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were really together throughout the entire experience. Right. That, that's amazing. Right. Did you have to talk to them about roles that you had played or that they had maybe see you on screen? Was that a conversation? Not like, not very often. Uh, so that there nude was, scene, I, they were fine with it. Well, it was it was interesting. You know, I, I toured uh, <laughs> a show called M Butterfly that had some stage nudity. Oh, and, I, uh, I was kidding. Really? Wow. Yeah, and uh, thank God it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> People would have walked out. But uh, anyway, you know, so why did this show close? See, here, I thought, here I thought young Kevin's coming out, <laughs> yeah, right. hands on his hips. You know? <laughs> but, you know, there was both a female uh, 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 nude scene, brief, and uh, they didn't seem to object to that. And uh, but there was also shocking. A, there yeah. was also a male nude scene, and uh, my son Errol, the youngest, uh, said uh, was sitting in a position in the audience where he had maybe too graphic a view, and uh, he said, "Don't ever let me sit there again." <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I know I don't think anything ever. See how it? I'm like, hold the phone. I don't see a shower, so we're not in the locker room. <laughs> yeah, What's right. going on? Right. But it's uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think they they were. We probably let them see maybe some things that maybe they shouldn't have, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, we were always with them, and so it, I don't think it ever became an issue. Well, I will say this: uh, of, of all the people I've had the privilege and pleasure of meeting throughout my life, all the successful people and all their successful children, the one thing I always find that they have in common. They all would say they probably let their kids see a little too much. Ah, oh. right, probably a little too much adult exposure. And you Maybe. know what? I think it's a wonderful thing. I think the yeah. kids, you know, I have an eight-year-old uh, girl. I say this sounds like justification for for this is my <laughs> this is me Reason, rationalizing. Yeah, yeah this, this is me, like I, right. I'll let her do that. Rationalizing so I can feel my better. life, right? Yeah. And in twenty years, I can be saying the same thing. No, but honestly, I say it from experience because, I, again, I grew up one of three boys as well, but my, my brothers are, are 10 and 12 years older than I am, and I was always sort of involved in the adult conversation, yeah. the adult dinners. It, it was, I think, really beneficial to me because I learned how to interact with not only my peers, my friends. I can go play. I can pretend. I can play sports. I can run around. But when it was time to you know, be at a restaurant, it was no problem. It was second nature for me. Yeah, I think it's very beneficial. Yeah, I, I was the youngest, and so similar. You know, everyone was, you know, so I learned and I listened, you know, and you learn the game, you know, you know, and so it's, it's, uh, it, it, uh, it helps. Yeah, a you lot. learn how to adapt. Right. Right. You learn how to play right. off people, right. play off the conversation. You know when to not interject. Exactly. Well, I want to jump back into a, a couple questions, and, and our list, I know our listeners would want to know who is somebody that you have worked with that you have absolutely loved, and maybe somebody that, you would never work with again. A person I absolutely loved was Tom Hanks. And it was, uh, he, he is a person who, uh, uh, basically what you see is what you get. And, uh, I had done a very, very small role in a film, uh, Forrest Gump that mostly got cut. Uh, I've never heard of that and, film. Did it win an award? <laughs> And then I was uh, casting a film uh, called Charlie Wilson's War, and he was the lead in that as well. Great beautiful. film. Great yeah. film. Yeah, beautiful. really a terrific film. I mean, both beautiful films, obviously. Yeah, yeah, very different. And uh, and so my first day on set uh, for Charlie Wilson's War, uh, there he came up. You know, and I'm standing there talk, talking to Ned Beatty, who I'd done something with before. And, uh, and he comes up and he says, ah, oh, you know, 
I think we've worked together before, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just I've seen you on TV so much, but I'm yeah. Tom Hanks. You know, and I thought, God, what a gracious man. And shook his hand, and he was just delightful uh, all the way through. Never had a posse with him or any of, the, any of that stuff. And uh, I, I just, I really adore the man. He's really, really terrific. And there's one other, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty, great guy. Wow, okay. Really great guy. I was, he surprised me because uh, my first day on that job, we didn't get a script for that show. Uh, Bullworth is the name of that movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I, for, uh, I, don't, I forgot Warren Beatty was Bullworth. Yeah, yeah. He directed it and wrote it and starred in it. And, uh, and so the first day I worked on that, he came up to me and he says, oh, hi, how are you doing? Thank you for doing this. And he handed me my script for the day. And he says, oh, this is what you're doing today. And I took it and he stood there and he watched me, waited, and I read it. And I looked up and I said, okay. He said, it's okay? You like it? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, it's good. You want to change anything? <laughs> yeah, but they, uh, Warren, no, looks, did, fine, did, looks fine to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it was amazing. He was that, just amazing. Did Warren Beatty just ask me to change if I wanted to change his I script? I know. <laughs> anyway, he, he, those two guys, you know, stand out. Right now, that's aw- that's so. Awesome. I think I think that Tom Hanks is kind of the diamond in the rough when it really comes down to what you're talking about in terms of modern superstar personalities. Yeah. yeah, right. One of the things that really stood out to me at a very very early age was how willing he was in a very public light to talk about his shortcomings. Oh yeah. And I thought that was fascinating because nobody was doing that. We're talking the 1980s. Nobody was yeah. doing that, right? Nobody was doing the Dave Letterman show and being like, oh, you know what? I really need to work on ah. this. Yeah. And Tom Hanks was just, he was right there. But I'm going to modify the question. Was there, a, was there a project, whether it be theater or film, and you don't have to name it, that you just couldn't wait to be done and just wanted to walk away from? Oh, I would say about 47 that I've been involved in. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the no, show's not that long, that, yeah. so. <laughs> no, I, you know, and, and like, there really is acting's some. horrible. I, you know, <laughs> there is some truth to that, but it's, and it's usually the, um, it's those days where I worked a day or two on a television show where I say I played a doctor, and they said, uh, okay, go. I'm sorry, Mrs. Jones, but your son has lung leaks. And the only way we can fix that is by so sorry. That's a cut. Thank you, Kevin. That's a wrap. <laughs> really? Oh, I mean, the, you know, time. And you're going. Time, do you know how long I researched what the fuck that was? <laughs> no, I can't. I can barely pronounce this stuff. Yeah, and you're going. It makes no sense in the script. I know. The symptoms don't add up. Because you know, I've been called upon to do a lot of doctors and a lot of lawyers. So you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. So those sort of thankless parts that you do for the paycheck and for you know meeting people and and practicing your craft and you know it's very gratifying. To learn all those lines and to to deliver, but yeah, th- then you just you don't a little empty feeling yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's not very gratifying. Well, what's one project that you absolutely will never forget? There have been a lot, you know, tripped about. Any time you work with uh, 
Mike Nichols, I worked with him on not only on Charlie Wilson's War, but Primary Colors. It was just delightful. And any time you work with those that kind of talent, uh, uh, Dan Man Walking with uh, oh yeah uh, um, Susan Sarandon, Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn uh, was an amazing uh, experience in, in Baton Rouge. And uh, so funny, I, I that particular movie. I was in Baton Rouge, and we went to the, I went to the set, and it was supposed to be the governor's. I played governor, the governor based on Edwan Edwards, who was one of the governors there, and his his name was, I don't know, I can't remember my, I think my name was Pete Peterson or something like that. But I went in, and here was in my office two giant oil paintings, and on the right there was uh, Louis the Fourteenth, and on the left. Was me this huge? I mean, as big as this wall here. Did they know? get it right? And, uh, yeah. I said, "Can I have that?" Oh yeah, yeah. I said, "Can I take that home with me?" I said, "Yeah, yeah." Well, I said, "Wait a minute, I don't think that fits in the overhead compartment." Uh, Do you still can, have it? You, no, no. They they said they'd send it to me, but they never did. Oh, yeah. that'd be yeah. that'd be the greatest gift that yeah. someone could get you now. Yeah. Now, now we know what to get you for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> life-size yeah. portrait. You know, I tell you what, I'm happy that you bring those films up, though, because there's so much of cinema, in my opinion, is being lost from the from the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. It, it's just kind of falling into this weird ether where it just doesn't You're exist. You're right. right. It's strange. Yeah. Do you still do you still receive things from the movies? Residuals. Yeah. Yes, I love them. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> so that's the acting version of mailbox money? Yes, it's absolutely the same thing. And it's, uh, well, yes, but I also get comments. You know, it's really interesting. You know, on the social media, you know, you'll get somebody say, hey, I just saw you on such and such. You know, it's really fun to to, to hear that kind of thing. And, uh, and uh, of course, I've, I've developed friendships with people, with you know, that I've worked with. And, uh, but it's, uh, I, you know... I, I I don't regret it one bit. It's been it's just it was wonderful, and I was very lucky, and uh, and thankfully uh, we we got through it. <laughs> it. I mean, it's it's good to hear you say that. I mean, I actually was in Memphis about to do an audition, and was in the hotel and saw you on an episode of Scrubs. Ah, yeah. So I mean, it was That's just amazing, like amazing. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I have a I have a friend who was in Paris, and he turned on the TV and it was tripped to Bountiful, and it was me. With a with a, a French dubbed over, he says. You know, he said your French is awful. <laughs> <laughs> I was that was actually was about to follow up. I'm so glad that you said that. I was curious. Like, have you heard yourself dubbed over in a yes. different language? And I, yes, and I've also. I there was a time I was watching television, and all of a sudden, I'm watching this character talking, and it's my voice, and I said, "Oh yeah." I remember I did that. <laughs> I, they hired me to dub this this guy's voice. You know, I, I guess he couldn't come in or whatever. But that's very strange. That's too. very to bizarre. hear your voice coming out of someone's mouth is. Ooh. <laughs> now, have you done bizarre. voiceover? Have you done any voiceover? Not much. Stuff? Not much. Okay. No, it's you know that is a tough uh, game to to get into, especially in L.A. and New York, because all the stars are doing it. You know, and so, and you know, it's almost like a, a, some kind of vanity thing. Oh, we got Brad Pitt to do our campaign. You know, yeah, yeah. But who, how many people recognize yeah. Brad Pitt's voice? Who's that? I, I don't know. I don't. I know. mean, we're Tom Hanks. Yes, I. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, you recognize you recognize Woody. But don't but don't you play that game sometimes? You say, Hey, wait a minute, is that Sam Elliott? You know, of course you, you know. I do, but Gosh. But you know, it's it's the ones that I always end up playing that game with is when they're more recognizable. Like right. like you say, like Sam Elliott. I'm like, Oh right. that that's gotta be you know. Yeah. Or oh that's Kevin Bacon. I know that voice yeah. anywhere. Yeah. But you hear I don't know, pick pick an actor, you know, Brie Larson or something, yeah. you know. I'm just, I would not have known that that was her. I know. Right? And I, that's where that word vanity comes in, you know. It's because, hey, we got so-and-so to do that voice. And oh, it really doesn't make that much difference. What what advice would you give to somebody that's going into acting today? <laughs> Can I give you a quick story? Or, or, oh, no, no. We, please do. It's so interesting. Uh, my friend uh, Brian Herskowitz's dad, Mickey, who's still here in, in, in Houston as a writer has ghost written a lot of, a lot of, uh, books, particularly, uh, autobiographies. And one was for Betty Davis, famous actor, actress. And, uh, at one point he asked Betty Davis, uh, Ms. Davis, if you know of any, if you were able to converse, have a conversation with any young actor who came to Hollywood, uh, what would your advice be to that person? And she said, always take Highland. Never take Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing that down right now. Hang well, on. I actually, I, 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 I'm literally writing I know it. L.A. Never and I know Hollywood and so, yeah. Sunset I get Boulevard. So you, you know the short. <laughs> anyway, no, I, what I would say is uh, trust yourself and you have to have uh, some kind of anchor, whether it's uh, a, a, a domestic partner or uh, a, a, some kind of a church affiliation or an organization you know, a, a whatever, something that you have as an anchor because the tough times are really tough and, uh, you know, and you have, to, you have to have a way to survive those. Neighbors Don't Knock is produced by CNG Communications. CNG specializes in small batch voiceover and video production for commercial media, podcasting, radio, and more. They combine years of experience in acting, podcasting, and sales to offer big marketing and media products at small business prices. To learn more, visit our Facebook page or email us directly at admin at neighborsdontknock.com. In your bio, you have a stint in the Army. Correct. Correct. Okay. Every time I've come across a stint in a military... <laughs> bio there's something to it right <laughs> Did, was this voluntary or involuntary it was involuntary it was involuntary <laughs> it was involuntary yes, yeah i know i was it was it wasn't uh, after pearl harbor hey uh first and foremost i, I thank drafted. you for your service but <laughs> yes. you were so you were drafted in drafted 1968 during the height of the vietnam war okay now i, I mean this sincerely I, I really really do thank you for your service because uh yeah, I think that's it's tremendous, and I, I I've had the privilege of meeting so many people who were drafted into that horrible situation. Did you go? No, I uh, I went to Korea. It was uh, I was uh, I ended up being, as we called it, chairborn. I was a clerk, and uh, and I was just lucky again. And uh, I you know I showed uh, 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 I guess a talent for numbers or whatever and uh so i ended up in the finance corps in uh, seoul korea so that was i spent a year there one year in korea yeah how how was that experience i mean what was it like to find out 
that you've been drafted? It was terrifying. And, I, you know, and I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I just, I was, I had fallen in love with Teresa and we weren't, we were planning to get married. And, uh, and so, you know, I went into basic training, not knowing what, what was going to happen. We planned to marry, to marry. And we did that fall that September in 68. And then, uh, and then a year later we had a baby and, uh, and he was born while I was in Korea. Uh, I was fortunate to get to come back for a 30 day leave when he got, when he was born. And I made, you know, it was nothing to it. it I was just basically a clerk, uh, in Korea and then came back. And it was one of those things where, you know, at the time, I, I, that was the last thing I wanted, and I hated hated it. Although it was tolerable in Korea, because I was mainly with some people who were talented and had some, you know, I wasn't carrying a gun or anything. And uh, we had to go through basic and all of that. Yeah, right? it wasn't so fun. It was... But at any rate, you know, I made it, and I got back, and then I had the GI Bill, so I was able to get to my ma- get my master's as a result, and so it worked out. So in the end, I would say, well, I'm glad I did it. But uh, you know, a lot but you you wouldn't wish that to go back. You wouldn't want no, to. No, no, no. Okay. And I, there are a lot of people I know who died during that that conflict, and that was you know, it was ugly. It was bad. Have you had the experience of having young people talk to you about wanting to voluntarily go into armed services? Uh, no, okay. I, you know, no, I've never, I've never, uh, anybody who has asked me, who would ask me, although I don't think anyone has said, what's your opinion? Should I do this or not? Uh, I would say, you know, I'd really think long and hard about it, especially, you know, if you're going to be involved in the Middle East and that, and what, it, which is basically what you're going to do. Uh, I think, I think. You know the service, the armed services is a wonderful thing, and I'm glad we have it. and And I admire anybody who does it. But I, w- I just think you need to think long and hard about it. And for a lot of people, it's a good thing. Thank you again. Sure. I, 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 yeah, absolutely. I we we do want to thank you yeah. for your service. Uh, but when you, because you were already leaning at the arts at that time. Yes. How was that? At, at especially at that time in that day and age. Uh, I say day and age, but. At that time period, how was that kind of looked the at? The year was 1920. <laughs> I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I'm I know. trying to think of the right way. Yes. But how was it perceived? I mean, were you – was it just everyone's here because you were drafted? It didn't matter? Did everyone was just kind of in the same boat? Did you find that was kind of an equal balancing? Or was there a, a, a bias of people who joined versus drafted? Most of the people who were in when I went in were drafted. Okay. Uh, at, at least at my level, we're talking. We're not talking about officers training or anything like that. Uh, and so we were all basically in the same boat. Uh, there was, but uh, generally among the public, it's not like it is now. I mean, no one came up to me in an airport saying thank you for your service back in 1968 or 69. It was more you were more looked at with scorn. It was terrible. It was awful. And the only reason I wore my uniform in an airport is so that I could get military standby rates on 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 airplanes, so I could get home to see my wife and family. Yeah. And so, peace and was, love re- re- revolution, and you're the baby killer, right? Like all of that, like, yeah, all of that, because people were opposed to that war, and so they thought I was part of the problem. And of course, I wasn't. You know, I was just doing what they told me to do. Do you feel like it made you stronger as a person or Absolutely. as an actor? Yeah, no question. 
and it's uh, in that experience. It, uh, it it's it's one of the most important things you have to have as an actor is empathy and learn learning what empathy is and feeling it for yourself and feeling it for others, and that's the only way you can survive as an actor to how you can play a character that may not be quite uh, the kind of person that uh, that that you would admire or whatever is is to understand what's going on and to uh, so yeah, there's no question. It was a big big thing for me. Well, have you have you ever channeled your experience into a character? No, but I really would love to. Teresa's working on a on a on a show that hopefully she'll get to sometime based on the life of her father who was a World War II a marine and a South Pacific uh veteran and uh she has a lot of recordings of him because she wants to write a book on his life and now she wants to write a play. Uh, and she's talked to Philip Lale about it at Fourth Wall Theater, and uh, I'm hoping that she gets it done because I would love – because I'm right to play her father right now, you know, the older man who's recalling his experiences during the war. That'd be lovely. What is her hesitation? Just getting the funding or – No, it's writing it. Ah. You know, it's hard to write. The actual work, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I understand. And you need time and you need, you know, there are lots of distractions and and everything. So she's dedicated and she'll do it. She's very talented. She's done it a lot, you know. She's written eight books and um but and I'm hoping she gets there. It'd be great. Well, now is there anything you you bring up this possibly possible project? Is there right. anything that is in the works? I know we've had to put life on hold for a while, but is there anything you have your eye on? No, I mean, I, I'm very anxious to work at AD Players again, you know, because I love that atmosphere there, and I love Jake and Kevin Dean in, uh, in the group, and Jennifer Dean, who directed uh, me and Jake in uh, Tuesdays with Maury, and I love Tuts. Uh, you know, my last experience there was Ragtime, and so anything that might come up there, I would love to. I'd love to work at the Alley. I've wor- I worked there once, you know, a long time ago, and anything. I'm, You know, Main Street, I love Main Street Theater. And uh, and I would love to work there or fourth wall, you know, anything that comes along. If it's I, right. I'm just excited to hear you just want to work. I, I Absolutely, think that, I think that's great. Yeah, it's you know it's the lifeline. It's, and and for all of you, all of our listeners out there, that especially our Houston listeners, keep an eye out for Kevin. He's ah. he's gonna he's gonna be somewhere. I promise you. Once this pandemic is is done, or once we move on, that you are gonna be seeing him on the stage. <laughs> yeah, I've Thanks, got a feeling as well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we cannot thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Great to be here. Man, there's so much hearing you say I have learned. I'm, I'm, I'm loving yeah. it. Great. I would say thank you for breaking bread, but I'm more drinking bread than breaking bread. Listen, but, uh, this cheers. wine is excellent. I'm glad to hear it. I'm yeah. glad to hear it. Well, Kevin is, uh had a good experience here, hopefully, on Neighbors Don't Knock. Sure. Yeah? All right. There we go. That's what I like to hear. But you guys can catch new episodes every Friday with Philip and myself. If you've missed some episodes, hey, go back, you know, wherever you get your podcast. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple. Indeed. And check out the full episode description to see everything that Kevin has done and what he's working on currently. It's, it's really, really fun stuff to go back and realize, oh, my gosh, that's, I know that person. That's right. But we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Out. <laughs>